It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Tail Podcast. Paul Chapman joined by just Ed Willis this week. Snow keeping the other guys away because we're, in the words of Matt Sakaris, defeatist wimps and quitters when it comes to the snow. No, I mean, I spend enough time in the prairies, baby. It was the, <laughs> This was nothing. I dug my way out on Tuesday night and I've been on the roads ever since. Well, I mean, that's the funny thing. As a beat writer, when you're on the road, you deal with a lot more of this weather. Oh, yeah. It's kind of funny when you see Vancouver shut down. With well, it was snow. I was following. I get, I, get, I get this twisted uh, thrill out of following the, uh, Patterson, especially when he's oh, on the road because he's always tweeting about his, his, his adventures. And I was following him, and he's coming back from Winnipeg, and he's kind of fretting about how's he going to get home once he gets to YVR because the sky trains have shut down, and is he going to be stranded? Is he going to, you know, is it, and as it turns out, they, I guess they had the sky trains up and running, so there wasn't any drama at the end of it, which really disappointed me. No, I was, but he I did. Kind he of got hoping, stranded at the airport for a while. I thought well, it was going no, to be like that to Tom Hanks character. And he said, no, no, he had to, I, I think there was a bit of a delay, but the, yeah. the sky trains were running. Um, I, I, I traveled with the Winnipeg Jets for five years and believe me I, I know those stories <laughs> like any time leaving Winnipeg it was an absolute crapshoot whether or not the plane was ever going to take off let alone take off on time but you know you, you do it and you're right you just kind of accept it as part of the deal um, it still blows my mind when I think back to that era that every team traveled virtually every team traveled commercially and, you know, when we were crisscrossing North America, I mean, you'd see NBA teams in, in airports. You'd see other NHL teams. Uh, so when, when – when and I hate to be that guy, but look at that cloud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when modern players start complaining about the rigors of travel, I just yes. think, oh, man, you just – you have no idea. Well, you know, so we'll – do a little bit more on the travel here, but we'll, then we'll just let people know we're going to talk, you know, obviously about the Canucks' performance, the All-Star game, what we we will see in the back part of the season. Uh, then we've got a couple of other surprises, if you want to call it that. And we'll also talk about Canucks at 50, part of their anniversary process. But in that, I do want to throw back to, you know, our our dearly missed colleague, Jason Botchford, and, and recalling the podcast he did with Jeff. And... Uh, I'm not telling tales out of school here because I believe that they did uh, discuss it on one of their editions. And if, if I am, then apologies, Jeff. <laughs> but they had a, a really bad travel day. This was, I think, two, three years ago. Uh, going into Montreal, tons of snow, you know, late getting in. Their bags didn't arrive. Bags, you know, didn't make it. Uh, they went had to go straight from the arena to, or from the airport to the arena in Montreal. Then they had to go on somewhere else. I think it was like Carolina. And... Um, 
you know, this is when the Canucks were still really bad. And Jason laughed because he got his bags. Oh, that's right. Jeff yeah. hadn't got his. And they show up in the morning to grill Travis Green. And he kind of goes, you got your bags yet? <laughs> like sort of <laughs> taking pleasure in the fact that Patterson was bagless. And, uh, you know, here it is on this road trip having to wear the same clothes all the time. So, yeah, these are the glamours of being a beat writer. My fa- This is my favorite travel story. It's the one that pops to mind anyway. So, and again, this says so much about the change in our business, but it's the it's it's the 99 or the 2000 Cup Final. Anyways, it's the one between New Jersey and Dallas, and both Tony Gallagher and I are covering oh, And, and for, we for, all for, remember every for, second of that series at New Jersey versus Dallas. That's a classic. <laughs> for, for the paper, and, and it, it, it was a dog. So anyways, we're flying from, uh, for, from Dallas uh, to Newark. Uh, to pick up the gate games, games three and four. And we've got this flight and I'm looking at my ticket. I've, I've never heard of this a- a- airline and it's landing at Midway in Chicago. That's weird, but you know, it's kind of straightforward. It's the spring weather isn't going to be an issue. Well, we get to Midway and they are announcing as we're stepping off the plane. Sorry, flight blah, 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 has been to uh, Newark has been canceled. Will you please? And we look and there's already a lineup, right? It's like the fall of Saigon at the, at the ticket station. So what do we do? And we had, we had Adrian Dater from, I believe the Denver Post at that time with us. So we, we, we kind of huddle and we go, well, look, why don't we take a cab to, or we'll take a cab to O'Hare. We'll get on, which is what we should have done in the first place. No problem whatsoever. So that's a great idea in theory. The only problem is it's like a hundred dollar cab ride, and in era when expenses were a little, little, they were still a little tight. Had to justify that. We get there. We miss the first flight we're supposed to get. We're supposed to get on the second one. We have this ticket we're trying to exchange. The punchline to all this, and I'm not sure if I can quite capture it. I was with Tony the whole time, and. Tony, I, I, how, how do we put this? I wouldn't call him a prima donna, but if things didn't go right for him, <laughs> you, you heard about it. So that was so the whole time when we're trying to negotiate our way. We finally get on. We get into Newark about 9 o'clock at night with the time change we're still able to file, and, and that's it. But it was uh, leaving. We left Dallas at 6 in the morning. It was about a 14-hour yeah, travel day. It's fantastic, yeah. The, as I say, the glamours of, of – yeah. uh, of beat writing. Now let's let's get into the Canucks. So obviously they've got one game left before the break here. Uh, depending when you listen to this, we this is being recorded before the San Jose game. But um, this team continues to impress me. The way they're sort of maturing as the season goes along. Ed, we've seen look, we've seen those meltdowns even fairly recently. Those two games in Florida uh, on the recent trip. But I'm seeing more a little bit more of a so-called bounce back from this team that they look like they can compete night in night out more than I would have said maybe a third of the way through the season. How do you see this team's progression from October until now? Well, because the the game against the Coyotes is front of mind, and I thought they really demonstrate that, you know, against a team that exposed them last year. There are four games, uh, Coyotes two wins in regulation, two wins in overtime. But it was more the style they played. The Coyotes' leading goal scorer last year was actually he was tied it was Brad Richardson. He had 19. So I mean, it's it's a different looking team. Coyotes team. They've added Castle. They've added Taylor Hall. So they've got like this element of skill. 
on top against the backdrop of this structured, you know, unrelenting defensive system they play. And I think Rick Tockett might be the most underrated coach uh, in the NHL right now. So having said all that, for the Canucks to really play the Coyotes at their own game, play a patient, disciplined, hard two-way game, uh, rely on their goaltending, capitalize on their chances, which is exactly the formula they need, and you know, for that for them to win. And now they're in. I believe they're in second in the division, and if they lose, they'll be back to to 7th or 8th in the conference. If they win, who knows? We might be talking about a first-place team at the the All-Star break, and who would have predicted that? And so one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the competition in the Pacific, and I know you wrote about it this week, uh, about the uh, Arizona, and, you know, as you can kind of see these two teams on a collision course towards this last part of the year for playoff positioning, but... You know, there was a time as we, you know, we've had the harp playing all, all podcasts here already, <laughs> so let's keep going. There was a time where it was pretty easy to predict uh, going into a season who was where. I mean, there'd be obviously a few surprises and some flips in position here and there, but you'd go into a season, oh, you know, Montreal, they're contenders, they're defending champions, Edmonton, the mm-hmm. Islanders, mm-hmm. go down that list. Even into the into the 2000s now, I look at it and you say, if you try and use the template from the year before where people say, oh, Winni- two years ago, Winnipeg made the conference finals, Nashville made the final, they didn't get over the hump, but they're right there, they'll be right back. It astonishes me how quickly teams are dropping yeah. and how quickly teams are moving up. When you look at Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Arizona now in that mix, and you're looking at some of the teams perhaps like San Jose, Winnipeg, Vegas, that people thought were those were the top contenders, it's just – who knows what's going to happen the rest of the way? Well, no, and maybe that's a reason why coaches are getting discarded like cigarette butts this season. To me, that's it's insane. It's it's probably the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest story of this NHL season. But yeah, when you were envisioning a, a scenario where the Canucks qualify for the playoffs at the start of the year, uh, one of the first things is, okay, who are they going to beat? Well, geez, San Jose's ahead of them. Vegas, um, Nashville's ahead of them. Um, Chicago looks like they're you know they they're, they're turning a bit of a corner here. Plus, they've still got Kane and Days, and you know enough of the players from the from the glory years. I I you could have seen maybe one of them falling, but 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 all three, all four, and, and then no separation in the division too, no. which is the other component to this. I mean, it looks like it looks like there are. Um, Doing the math, I can't, and I apologize in advance. But the last time I looked at it, there were five teams within three points of each other in the Western Conference. So I don't know if that go. I can't remember if that goes nine deep or ten deep. But it'll be one. It'll be eight of those ten teams that make the playoffs. I think right now there's just too much of a drop off between ten and eleven for the other teams to qualify. So that yeah, the Canucks are right there. And, uh, you know, again, as long as the goaltending holds out, um, that's kind of the secret sauce for them so far. They're going to be in it right till the end. And, and who's to say, is it, again, if you, if you, if you take 94, 95 points, has, has uh, the, the cutoff point, the playoff bar. It's not like they have to play lights out. They just have yeah. to be really solid. And that's sort from of the, here on in. That's yeah. sort of the position they've been in the last two, three years is they've reached this stage of the season and they have had to crank it up in order to make yeah. it, to get to that mark. And it doesn't look like they'll have to do that this year. They'll just have to keep that consistency there. Let's stay on the goaltending for a second. Um, you know, obviously we hear about back-to-backs and the workload and everything else. So... Markstrom gets used in both games on the weekend, which surprises some people. Uh, then he had the game in Winnipeg, which didn't look great. Um, 
who looked fantastic last night, but he's not getting a break because he's going to the All-Star game. Are you concerned about how the Canucks are managing their goaltending situation? No, not really. I... I, I... I, I think it's more the mental stress, and I, I, I it marks him to me. I, I mean, he wants the net. Every time you talk to him, I mean, his eyes get big, and he, yeah, I want to play. I want to play in meaningful games. Like this is this is new for him, new for so many of the Canucks. But this is a guy. I believe he's if he hasn't turned thirty, he's on the verge of turning thirty. He's you know waited for this his whole career to establish himself as a number one, to establish himself on, on on a playoff contender, to be playing meaningful games at this stage of the season. So I think he's embraced it. And, and, and I'm not sure. I know when you get to back-to-back, then maybe that's where you look to give him a rest. And Demko's been fine. He's been the least of their worries. But I, I, I think you just ride the guy here until until he proves that he can't handle the workload. And he hasn't he hasn't done that yet. Well, and that's the other thing with this team and, and the position, as we talked about, the playoff jockeying the Pacific. You're not getting a night off. Like every two points right. is so valuable yeah. for this team. So that's where you can see the coach's temptation to say, no, I'm going to push it yeah. one more. I'm going to push it one more. And I, and I think that's what we saw in Winnipeg. To me, that was a game where you put Demko in, but, you know, they had a chance to finish above 500 in, 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 on the road trip. Again, as you say, every game, it, it's like every game is a playoff game for this team from here on in, let, let, let's face it. And let, let, like who's really crappy? I don't think they have any games with Detroit left, do they? No. Uh, they're done. So there's LA. There's everybody else. Is, you know, like the bad teams. No, the bad teams are San Jose, right? Yeah. The bad teams are San Jose and maybe Chicago. No, but I think they're done with Chicago. No, no, they're not. I'm sorry, but but point point taken, right? It's just yeah. a, it's going to be a great measuring stick to see where this team really is as they work through these these series. So of games. With the, as we look forward to this last part of the season here after the All Star break. Um, you know, if you're looking at milepost too, obviously there'll be the trade deadline and all sorts of conversations around that, depending on you know, what their injury situation is, et cetera. But if you look at this team versus those around them, you know, against Calgary, against Edmonton, against Arizona, how do they match up in terms of if they were to play a seven-game series? Are they as good as all those teams, a little bit worse in the middle? Okay, when you just look at the roster, so let's let's take Calgary. And and I've looked at that, and I, I look at Calgary, and I look at the Canucks, I don't see a whole lot of difference. Um. Giordano was, to me, the biggest difference last year. Norris Trophy winner. Well, he's not that guy now. He's he's a serviceable top four guy, but he's not the dominating, point-producing, offensive-driving team leader he was last year. So you take him out of the mix and you kind of match them up player for player. What's the difference? I, I, I don't see that. I don't see where there are any logical reasons why the Canucks should not be able to compete with the Flames on a head-to-head basis. Arizona, we've kind of been through. You know, I like the Canucks' personnel. I, I just uh, – the, the, the style the Coyotes plays – Gives them problems, and they still have three games left with them. Again, if they win that series, yeah, if they win that series, it goes such a long way in determining where they'll finish in the playoffs. Um, I I think I think Las Vegas is a little bit of a different animal because they've been able to trade for you know higher higher end players. Plus the coaching change. Yeah, there's that. You know, you just want to see how that impacts them. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, when I look at the West, I St. Louis for for different reasons. St. Louis and Colorado. 
are, are, are the two premier teams for me. St. Louis has the pedigree, the style they play. Colorado just plays a different game. They're just faster, more skilled, more dynamic, uh, as long as their goaltending at least gets, you know, a push most nights. Uh, they're they're going to win. But I, the, 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 it's not like you, you're, you're expecting the Canucks to do this with smoke and mirrors or to do something that's unrealistic or something that's like out, out of their power. I, th- I think it's right there for them if, if, they, if they execute. And we'll bring the heart back out. You know, this was past eras. The eighth seed was not beating the one seed. And I do look at this now. And whoever finishes eight can easily win. Yeah. Like can come yeah. out of the conference. I will. I do see as you talk about those top ten teams. I can honestly make a case for any of the eight teams that will end up making it to get to the Stanley Cup final. It's it really has been something to watch. You mentioned Calgary. I mean, last year, this best team in the NHL. Mm-hmm. You know, for for most of the year in terms of a point total. But the big question was goaltending, and Reddick has really solved that for them this year. I mean, his development, he's very similar numbers to Markstrom. I know they're both going to the All-Star game. I, I watched that game last night against the Leafs. Yeah. He was spectacular. Um, and, and maybe that's what it's going to come down to. Which goaltenders, as you talk about Bennington and how far he took the Blues last year, mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. And so, therefore, go back to our Canucks question about Markstrom. If you can ride him all the way, you know, I think he can win a series for you, which yeah, you can assume that like It always comes back to this. And, and again, going back to the start of the season, you, you, you're trying to construct a scenario where the Canucks make the playoffs or at least competitive. And either the first or the second thing on everybody's list is Markstrom has to have a Vesna caliber season. and. Yeah. He's been close. I, I wouldn't put him in the conversation, but but he's close. I, I tell you what, the, the Athletic ran, and I'm not dumping on the Athletic, but they ran a piece where the general managers ranked the, the goalies, uh, the NHL goalies, and it's going back a bit, and I think they're going more in past performance on what they saw this season. But Markson was ranked 17th. Uh, he's not that. He's Right now, for me, he's a top 10 goalie in the league. Um, if we, you know, thank God. Uh, look, I'm going to, throw some arrows here not specifically at people but we we can get so formulaic in sports reporting and media um and so here we head to the all-star break and we'll get this like insufferable amount of poll questions and hot takes about how to make the all-star game better look at the end of the day it doesn't matter anymore it really doesn't it's about a hockey festival in the city that gets to host it and the corporate partners and the money they get to make to trade off at the NHL. And it's, for the most part, I think a good experience for the players. What's this weekend going to be like for Markstrom, Hughes, and Pedersen? I think it'll be fun. I, I think it'll be great. And, and that's just, I, I made peace with the All-Star game about 15 years ago. And I remember it was the one in in uh, Minneapolis. I went to cover it, and 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 it, as long as you just accept it for what it is, as you said, this exhibition, you know, chance for fans to see great players or the players to showcase their skills, whatever it is, but. Don't think for a minute you, you're going to try and make it like a real game, make it relevant, make it like, you know, a mirror of a – all-star games really only work for baseball. Yeah. That, that, that's the only thing. It just, just you, you just can't for, – for the other three sports, you just can't capture like the intensity, the physicality, uh, all, all those elements that, you know, really make the, 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 the sport so compelling to watch. So just take it for what it is. It's you know it's it's an exhibition. I think they've done a really good job of dressing it up. You know around the corners, and I think the inclusion of women and giving the women's game a platform is utterly fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And plus, it led to to me the line of the year from Rick Talkett. <laughs> 
yesterday's yesterday's availability too and he said he wanted to coach the u.s women's team because at least they'd have a kessel there who'd listen to him (laughs) (laughs) that is a great line no it was was tremendous so yes you know so they've added bits and pieces of it and you know they get the fawning coverage from you know whoever the rights holders are and then you know that's that's fine but that's part of it yeah there's there's, there's an anomaly to watch on tv as you said to see the women for the first time the skills to me is always fun yeah but the game itself I, I will not spend two minutes thinking about that game there, especially with the NFL on this weekend and various other things happening. Um, and that's where I say I think it's more for the city that hosts it. But when I look at the, the, the Canucks players that are there, I mean, honestly, I can understand and I don't have an issue with Ovechkin saying enough. Like, my body's worn out. I've done this enough. I'm looking forward to having the time off, which for a lot of the Canucks that aren't going, I'm sure that's a, that's a great bonus for them as well. But for a guy like Hughes, who it's his first oh. time, Pedersen going back into it again, even for Markstrom, who, as you talk about, since people still ranking him 17th, that's a chance professionally to be included in the elite. There's a lot for them to come out of this just swelling with pride, isn't there? Oh, I, I, I can't think of a better, you know, a better scenario for the Canucks and, and, you know, three vitally important players for them. Absolutely. It's a validation for the players. It's also a validation for the organization because I'm pretty sure the Canucks improvement really hasn't, as most things with the Canucks, really doesn't register with the larger audience. You know, maybe it goes as far as Alberta, maybe as far as Winnipeg, but, but once you hit the Ontario border, forget it. But now all of a sudden, I'm like Quinn Hughes is just so good. You you know you watch him and you have to keep. God, this is a kid who just turned twenty, and he's emerging as I wouldn't put say he's their best defenseman, but you can make that case. Um, and he's getting more and more responsibility, more and more ice time, and he just seems to thrive on it. I I think it's I think the rookie of the year race is a dead heat now between him and McCarr, and and I also I'll also say this like McCarr is spectacular. Not going to take, you're not going to throw any shade on him. But I, Hughes is, I think, more important to the Canucks than Makar is to Colorado. Pretty impressive that uh, both Besser and Pedersen made impacts at their first All Star yeah. game. And you're talking about, uh, I mean, t- to think that you've had three rookies that have come in and, and just hit the ground running the way they have. Whose first year is more impressive to you between Hughes, Besser, and Pedersen? That's a great question. I, and off the top of my head, without giving him much thought, I, I'd say Hughes just because of the position he plays. Yeah. And the fact that they've given him the keys to the power play. Uh, and he's taken it and run with it and produced. I think they're still top five. I, have, I haven't checked it recently because they scored a power play goal again last night. But yeah, and, and, and again, maybe I'm colored by the Canucks history. We just haven't seen a player like this in the 50-year history, which is no. mind-blowing when you think of it. Yeah. Like, who's the closest guy? Christian Ehrhoff? Yes, has to be. He's, I mean, Jeff he, Brown, again, know, guys yeah, who Jeff had cameos Brown, here. Well, yeah, Dennis Kearns was kind yeah. of that guy, too, but they're, they're not even in the no, same No, they're not even in the same conversation. They're, they're not but in we're the saying same that, galaxy as this you, kid. I mean, obviously, you know, Oland was a different player, yeah, much more yeah, yeah, t- yeah. The, the two ends of the ice. Uh, guys like Salo were solid as well. You get into like no, your Doug Lister. No, mover, those, no, those kind of guys. No, never yeah. had one. I mean, Jeff Brown really is the closest in terms of saying like the power play quarterback and he made that massive difference. We'll get into and that. How long was he here? Uh, I think only three years. Yeah. 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 And uh, But I mean, what an impact. You know, they don't oh, make sure. the 94 family. Yeah. I, in many ways, that illustrates your point. You can't be an elite team and win championships without that skill on your – like you look at – I remember a column you wrote. I know I'm going off on different tangents here. I remember a column you wrote, uh, I think, when Shea Weber first 
came into the equation. And the NHL had moved from this, you need to put all your money in your goaltender because it was the dead puck era and everyone mm. was looking at what Brodeur had done for the Devils. And then all of a sudden that wasn't working. And in many respects, if as we look at the 50-year anniversary of the Canucks, they always seem to have been one step behind the trend, right? You talk about bringing McGillney in, again, same thing going into the dead puck era. But I remember you writing this story about how the franchise defenseman, it was Pronger at the time, it was Weber. These were the guys that were making a difference in teams that were competing for Stanley Cups. That, And they weren't guys you could get. You, you couldn't trade for one. You couldn't get one in free agency. You had to be lucky in terms of the draft and how you develop them. And this is the one thing the Canucks have never had. This is their white whale. You look yeah. at wingers and centers and goaltenders, everything else. They've never had a Norris Trophy uh, defenseman and this is as we look in in their whole history maybe it was lucky maybe we've seen the clip of of Benning at the draft talking about it being a home run yeah but this is a guy that other teams don't have yeah no no yeah it, it, the Canucks have never had more more to the point and 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 as this season of all you know I watched him in that game last night and you know he gets into these pressure situations and he doesn't always come out but he never, he, I very seldom makes that killer mistake, and, and he will, he will extricate himself from the worst kind of problems and do it so seamlessly. And, and again, like I, I know Phoenix probably, Phoenix might have had a little more of the play last night, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge difference. It basically comes down to, you know, Vertanen gets a bit of a break on the wraparound, not a bit of a break, a huge break on the, on the wraparound. Taylor Hall hits the post on the power play, and that's, that's essentially the game there. But to do that over, you know, do that over 60 minutes, you know, and like I said, against a team that really exposed them last year. And what's the difference between the Canucks of uh, last year and the, the and the Canucks of this year? To me, it's two players: Quinn Hughes and J.T. Miller. And yeah, not just a little bit of a difference with two impact players as well. Um, just as we were referencing '94, I, I do want to bring up our our 50th anniversary series, which has been sponsored by Key West Ford. So, so thank you to them for that for stepping up. Uh, as we've been looking at this decade by decade, and we have the bad part of the 90s to get to as we're coming up, we forget the Keenan Messier, Stephen Bellringer, uh, Pat Quinn grabbing him by the throat, like all that, the way it came apart at the end of the 90s, but at the start of the 90s. Now, um, we probably won't win, be nominated for an Academy Award for the video series that we do here, maybe a Juno, yeah, yeah, but well, we did yeah. just record one where we talked about Pat Quinn and his acumen as a general manager is largely underrated when you look at some of those trades he made. Well, yeah, the, the, that team is really reshaped through trades, uh, refreshed, reinvented, re-energized. You know, the, he, it, it starts, the, the and, and I forgot how far back it goes, but the first significant move Pat makes when he takes over is GM because he's barred from coaching the team because of the schmozzle with the Los Angeles Kings. I we don't have enough time for yeah. that, Paul. Uh, but the first significant move he makes is, is a trade with New Jersey. He gets Greg Adams and Kirk McLean for Patrick Sundstrom in a fourth rounder. And I was talking to Brian Burke about it, and he said, well, we were looking for a goalie because they'd also traded for Darren Jensen from Philadelphia, and they thought he might be the guy. Yeah. Uh, McLean, to that point, had played four games in his NHL career. He was 21, I, I believe. But, uh, you know, struck gold there. And, and, and then, you know, then there's the trade with St. Louis, which to me is the whole, the key to the whole thing. 
because uh, the table is set when Bury arrives. But but for him to get like three legitimate top nine forwards, and when I say top nine, like they could they could have played on any line in any situation, uh, up and down the lineup you know, to to increase your depth in in one move. And the cost was Garth Butcher, who was a good NHL defenseman, solid guy, but he wasn't going to be a difference maker down the road. And then, you know, little things, you know, the reference the Jeff Brown trade, getting Murray Craven for that Stanley Sir Cup. Sergio Mimeso. Uh, yeah, Sir- well, he was in the St. Louis trade, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah, no, no, that that that's just it. And it was an era when you when when that that option was more available to general managers. Uh, trading was just a little easier, um, and there was this kind of it was there was this philosophy in the NHL: look, I have a problem, you have a problem, let's make a trade, and maybe we'll solve each other's problems. And you just saw it over and over and over again. And it's it's a lot harder to do in the in this day and age, but you could do it then. And Pat was an absolute master I, and I have to laugh because we just ran, re-ran this column from Jim Taylor talking about a Peter Nedved Tanya Harding marriage because at the time of course Tanya Harding had gone through the soap opera of the Nancy Kerrigan attack and the Nedved situation here I mean this was a guy we talk about drafting Quinn Hughes the Canucks had never really had the offensive superstar until Bure came along but they had the second overall pick and they'd chosen in 1990 Peter Nedved and they thought this was the guy mm-hmm. uh, as it turns out Nedved or uh, Yager was the guy who won a few picks later <laughs> but anyway Nedved starts off okay yeah. but then gets signed by St. Louis because he's not happy in Vancouver go back to the he asked he asked Wayne Gretzky for a stick once after a game much as they do in Europe with soccer jerseys and my I still remember the media fallout there he was ridiculed he's going up and asking this guy for a stick what is he a fanboy anyway Nedved wants out so they go to have to go to arbitration in terms of who they get back and they get Craig Janney George McPhee makes these absolutely ridiculous comments because they wanted Shanahan and talk about a mess. And then they end up trading for Jeff Brown, which people forget. Jeff Brown held out. He did not report here. They also got Nathan, Nathan Lafayette and uh, another piece here. That yeah, I'm, it's okay. Yeah, no, it'll come to me. <laughs> yeah. But again, I'm looking at what a general manager has at his feet. And you have this top asset who gets signed by someone else. You have to go to an arbitrator who doesn't give you the player you want. You rubbish them in the media. And now you have to go. He went back to St. Louis and made a trade to get... Isn't it fabulous how so many uh, of the absolute crucial moments in Canucks history ends up in the courts? Yes. Like, And, and it was going back. So, so, let, so let, you know, let's wind it back even farther. And I'd forgotten a lot of the details around how they signed Quinn in the first place and how you know that ends up in the NHL and Pat is what's the what's the word they used it was really cold and chilling uh, he was he wasn't suspended he was I'm sorry I'm just blanking out on it but it's just this damning indictment of his integrity and and Pat was wounded by it I mean I, I think you know right up until the end it was the kind of the one thing that that really stuck to him so that ends up in the court then the Burray thing ends up in the court then the Brown thing ends up not 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 in the court I mean we're talking about yeah. legal courts for, for for the first two um you know and Pat ends up you know I Pat had a lawsuit against the against the NHL uh eventually drops it and, and like there's a, 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 a there is one of the great theories is 
The reward for dropping the lawsuit was the NHL took a favorable view towards the Canucks on the Burray ruling. <laughs> Never been justified, but it's up there with the cold, the cold envelope and the New York Knicks drafting yeah. Patrick Ewan. But no, it, it was crazy. It was an absolute free for all, especially dealing with those players coming over from Russia. And I'm sorry, I forgot about the whole Krutov Larionov yeah. thing, which is and another the payments to the yeah, Russians yeah, to get which them is out of there. Another legal yeah. thing. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's hilarious revisiting all this stuff. I will go a little bit you know, down the province's road here. In the whole Pat Quinn thing, because Tony Gallagher reported it and had a very strong uh, opinion on it, Tony had left to do sports radio, but it was sort of a leave of absence. And when he came back, the Canucks wrote a letter saying, yeah, I remember. If you, yes, if you hire back Tony Gallagher, we will ban all of you from the press box. And the province did what they should have done. They ran the letter on the front page and basically said, screw you, you're not going to tell us who to hire. And I get this all. I, I get their position. I've been through this posturing myself. But if you look now, Ed, and no one does question Quinn's uh, activity or, or, or yeah. loyalty or integrity, any of those things. But you have a coach actively coaching another team in your division who has agreed to join your team the next year. You can see why people had an issue with that. <laughs> yes, I can. Yes, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like the Canucks played the victim in that and said the media was out to get them. You hired someone who is still coaching another yeah. team. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a crazy, this franchise has been on a crazy train. And you're right, you know, as much as I love Pat Quinn, I mean, there was really... It's hard to stick up for him. It's hard to go, yeah, but on that, on that one, it, it does it does speak <laughs> it does speak for itself. You want to talk about the whole deliberately losing and tanking thing? Yeah, uh, that that actually had per permutations there. So uh, quickly before we leave, um, you had some strong thoughts. We'll deviate a little bit, yes. but we'll tie it to hockey because I know how strong your feelings are when it comes to the DJ at the Canucks games and what they play. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, okay, it, it, and it starts with, like, I've, I've got a couple of favorites, I think, as everybody does. And if you, if you know how old I am, and if you go on Twitter and follow them, you see the same names over and over again. Why isn't Warren Zevon in the Hall of Fame? Why aren't Little Feet in that? My, my personal favorite is Steve Earle. I understand he's not everybody's cup of tea. But when you look at the body of work from start to finish, it's extraordinary. I just know Copperhead Road. And that's he, it. But, well, yes, you, you're missing out on a lot, my friend. Uh, so so uh, anyways, but, but like Warren Zevon should be a slam dunk by now. When you look at the other singer-songwriters who've made it. How about Dick I, Duff? And I just <laughs> I just Where's looked Warren, at the Where's Warren, Warren Zevon on the Dick Duff scale in in terms of like no he's he who 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 would he be he would be give me a hockey comparable to Warren Zevon I'm going to come back to the you know who Mike he'd Gartner? be no no he he Dicky Moore Dickie Moore, like just like, like sorry really? if I'm looking at you blankly. Yeah, no, okay, well, Dickie Moore. I do know. On, I know yeah. who he is. So but. he plays on he plays on the Montreal Canadiens teams on the on the dynasty teams that wins five in a row in, in, in the late fifties. Not the best player of the team, not superstar, but when you look at his uh, when, when you look at the, his body of work and everything, it, it's it's outstanding and it's. Uh, it, Ticks all the boxes. I'm going to ask you to do a call on this at some point. You know, comparing <laughs> NHL greats to bands, what I their equivalent is. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'd, yeah, I'd be down with like that. For instance, so, so, so there's that. Okay, yeah. so, so there's that. But to get back to it, but it's the bands I've seen go in ahead of them, and I'm sorry, I, I lumped Depeche Mode in with with so many like electronic hair bands no, from the so late 80s and early 90s. Okay, so I'll take that bullet. I know I'm not wrong about T Rex though. One frickin' song. 
And I know they probably had a following in England and they no, 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 Look, that, that's, okay, that's this is terrible. Cam, Cam Neely got injured before he could fulfill his potential and they didn't want to put him in the Hall of Fame because he didn't have the that's body it. work. Mark Boland died in a car crash. It was the same thing. T-Rex would have been juggernaut had he not passed uh, no, away. No, no, I, I see them being Nazareth. That's who I see. That's who I see them being. Uh, no, no, no more. Yeah. No, no, no more, no less. I can just hear computers turning off as we dwell into this. We have our wonder producer here, Juanita Ng, who hasn't rolled her eyes at us. Or maybe she has. We haven't seen it. But yes, if we put production value this is more your era. Now, are you comparing? Because I've got to drop out of this argument. So is Mark Bolin like Notorious B.I.G.? It wasn't really his career it's it's the promise it's what he might have been yeah. I think so on that basis Tony Canigliaro should be in the baseball hall of fame and so many I think of the hockey players who should have was been was he wearing there. a buzzer like we, we uh, don't no, have no, time no, to get into that no, no. Yeah, that's fantastic okay we will have to leave it there uh, if anyone is still listening <laughs> but seriously, well, there's, the a, there's more there's more coming up next year and yeah. I'm sure uh, maybe maybe it'll be Zivon's year who yeah, knows it's fantastic hall of fame arguments in any sport are always fascinating um uh, whether it's the rock and roll hockey or even what we just saw in baseball with Larry Walker and people sharing their ballots, et cetera, et cetera. But we will leave it there for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the All-Star break. Uh, please subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Thanks again to Key West Ford, and we will be back to talk to you next week.